we should be familiar with bailouts for the last six and a half years. God gives you the biggest bailout. You and I are sinners, expert sinners. We are dedicated. We are hardcore. And God says, I can offer you something better. You're headed for hell, but I can turn you and you can be on your way to heaven. The decision that a person makes regarding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will determine where they spend eternity. Now, God doesn't make that decision, but I do. It has been said that it may be true that there are two sides to every question. But it's also true that there are two sides to the sheet of flypaper. And it makes a big difference what side the fly chooses. Those of you who are too young, flypaper used to be sticky on one side, not on the other. Okay? So I want to talk to you about the oneness of the cross and the resurrection um, that is revealed throughout Scripture. And I want to do it through looking at three things. First, the life of Christ was looking towards the cross. You and I are destined to die. Jesus came to die. I die because of who I am. A sinner fallen. He died to save you from death. Jesus was God who became man. John 1.1 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And 14 says and God became flesh and we beheld his glory. as only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus was eternal from the beginning with the Father in fellowship. And yet he abdicated his throne, came down, took on flesh. And being God... He could have walked on the earth and destroyed everybody, but he came to wash feet. Wow. Jesus was the promised Messiah, according to the eternal schedule of God. He was the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. He was a child born to us, a son given, according to Isaiah 9.6. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity, Isaiah 53.5 says. He was the king of the Jews, Zechariah 9 says. He was one who came right on time. Galatians 4, 4, Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law. Do you know that God's never been late to anything? Right on time. Right on time when? When Rome was in power. The world. All the roads were made to travel. One universal language. Wow. The gospel took off. Right on time. Jesus was born so that he might die on the cross. Um, when Simeon dedicated Jesus at the temple, he told Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, and the sword will pierce you through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many's heart may be revealed in Luke 2, 34 and 35. This was his destiny. John the Baptist's cousin said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world in John 1, 29. Every Jew understood when he said the Lamb of God. They understood. They were schooled in the law. They saw a man coming, taking that lamb, putting it by the priest, checking it out. It passes inspection, tying him up by the pole. Taking it, I take the knife, I cut his throat. He squeals, blood goes all over, he hits the ground. He died. I belong in that place. He died in my place. He substituted my death. So when they looked at Jesus, they understood exactly what John the Baptist meant. Caiaphas prophesied. 
that one should die for the nation, lest the nation perish in John 11, 49, 51. Though he was not one with God, God used him to prophesy. Spurgeon said, Oh, believe me, if you could roll all the sins into one mass, if you could take murder and blasphemy and lust and adultery and fornication and everything that is vile and unite them all in one vast glob of black corruption, they would not equal even then the sin of unbelief. This is the monarch sin, he says, the quintessential sin, the guilt, the mixture of the venom and of all crimes, the dredge of wine of Gomorrah. It is the A1 sin, the masterpiece of Satan, the chief work of the devil, unbelief. We just don't want to believe God because we think we know better than God and more than God. Some of you may even think you're God. cross is the place of judgment of sin and the person of God's son for the world became that sin John three sixteen, the greatest invitation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life he became the propitiation for our sins not us alone but the whole world 1 John 2 2 propitiation has the Hebrew aspect of, of that which satisfied the payment for that sin no one else the cross is the place where Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, 1 Timothy 2.6. That means no one's excluded. No one's excluded at the cross except the ones who exclude themselves. Whosoever. I hope that you fit that package. If you're a human being, you fit it. Whosoever. The just for the unjust, 1 Peter 3.18 says. The ungodly. The sinner. Romans 5.6 and 8. I presume you qualify. For fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Keep the list going. You fall somewhere in there. Let me give you a better one. A good moral pagan. Wow. See, the life of Christ was looking towards the cross. That's why he came. So the cross of Christ was looking towards the resurrection. From there, he came to the cross. And the cross was looking to the resurrection. Jesus told Nicodemus in John three fourteen through 16, that you must be born again or you never see the kingdom of God. And then he took a passage from the Old Testament back there and he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in should not perish, but have everlasting life. The pole in the wilderness, as you know, the context is, the children of Israel sinned against God and he became vile and he said, poison the serpents. And they began to bite them, they began to die. And God told Moses, put a pole in the middle of the camp. And whoever looks upon that camp, put a brass serpent on it. And if they look believing, they won't die. Now you can imagine Moses telling these people, hey, if you just look, you won't die. Oh, shut up. Like, that's, too, that's silly. But Jesus pulls that out and he interprets it for us. It was prophetic of him. The pole stood for the cross. The serpent stood for sin. So you have sin being judged on the cross back in the wilderness, the type of Jesus Christ. So must the Son of Man be lifted up, crucified, that whoever believes in should not perish, but everlasting life. Wow. 
Because death would benefit all. His death would be temporary. His heel would be bruised. But the head of Satan would be crushed. His authority back, Genesis 3.15. He would destroy him who had the power of death, Satan. And so Jesus declared to his disciples the oneness of the death and resurrection over and over and over again. You can't feel it when you read the Gospels. At the three-year point, as he's up in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus takes him to where all the pagan idols are and everything else at the foot of Mount Hermon. And he says, uh, Peter, who, does, who, you know, who do men say that I am? Some say, well, some say you're the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some this, some that. He said, but who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed thou art, Son of our Jonah. Flesh and blood is not revealed as you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, your name is Petros, small stone. And upon this Petro, gigantic truth, that I'm the Son of the living God, I will build my church. From that point forward, Jesus never mentioned his death without his resurrection as he walked under the shadow of the cross the next six months towards Jerusalem. But they never heard it because the Jews, the disciples who were Jews, had this mindset of theology that was so contrary to God's plan. They saw the present age under Rome, bondage, and the age to come. When Messiah comes, destroys everything, sets up the kingdom. They never saw the age of grace. At Galilee, he said the same thing. He was going to Jerusalem, he'd be betrayed in Matthew 17, 22 through 23. As he approached in Jerusalem, he told the twelve, he took them aside and told them the same thing. Because they thought the kingdom of God was going to be uh, set up immediately. But let's just allow me a little liberty here. Remember James and John asked him uh, for the right and the left hand to sit in his glory. And then they kind of got a little rabbit's foot and they sent their mommy ahead of him. Just in case he was wanting to say no. And, and he said to them, are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized in? Oh yeah, Lord, no big deal. Okay, let's just carry it forward. They get to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden they're in Jerusalem. They arrest Jesus. But they arrest now James and John also. Because he did promise them the left and the right hand, right? So they crucify Jesus and they put James and John where the thieves are. And they're hanging there in the place of the thieves. And they say, Jesus! Wait, wait, wait. And Jesus says, what did you have in mind? The dirty dozen were not servants. They wanted to be served. They wanted the right hand and the left hand. And they beat the ten to it. And the ten got ticked off of the two because the, two, the ten had the same thing in mind. Wow. They became servants after the day of Pentecost. Not before. Jesus in death became the payment of sin then. Through the resurrection, he became the author of eternal life. Because Adam sinned and all inherited sin and death. Genesis 3, Romans 5, 12. The minute a baby is born, he begins to die. The first breath he takes. We celebrate his birthday. We rejoice. But he just began to die. We don't think of it that way. Why does he begin to die? Because death entered in through sin. And because all are under sin's power. Sin nature. Romans 3, 9-19, Paul goes on to share about there's not one good, not one. The power of sin over the sin nature. Our bend is towards evil. Darkness attracts us. If you tell me that sin doesn't attract you, 
Or maybe you call them mistakes. Maybe you don't call it lying. You say, I misspoke. <laughs> or you can't quite remember. You misremember or something like that. But you're smarter than that. You see, the history of man is that we are bent towards darkness. We have a potential for good because we're creating the image and likeness of God. But our bent is towards evil. Like the mom that gave his older brother to go share a candy bar with his younger brother, right? So she gives him the candy bar and he gets it and he goes, breaks it in half. Which one's bigger? He even said, I said, here, here's your half. <laughs> right? That's me. That's you. Because all fall short of the glory of God. If you've never lied, if you've never had a bad thought, please stand up so we can laugh. <laughs> We're fallen, ladies and gentlemen. We need so much help from the Lord. He's the only hope. And that means that all of us are under God's wrath. Jesus said in John 3.36, He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. Whew. The gospel is warning you of the wrath to come, and that you're under God's wrath. Not because He hates you, but He loves you so much that He's sending the message for you to escape the wrath of God by His grace. Isaiah says it's a strange way for God to act in wrath and judgment. He would much rather forgive. When God has to pour His wrath, that's a strange way to deal with His creature. Because He became sin for us. And He died as a ransom for many, as the Lamb of God, that you not have to perish. Charles Spurgeon declared the following about the gospel. Listen carefully. The hearing of the gospel involves the hearer in responsibility. It is a great privilege to hear the gospel. You may smile and think there is nothing very um, very great in it. The damned in hell know. Oh, what would they give if they could hear the gospel now? If they could come back and... In, Entertain, but the shadow of hope that they might yet escape from the wrath to come. The saved in heaven estimate this privilege at a high rate. For having obtained salvation through the preaching of this gospel, they can never cease to bless their God for calling them by His word of truth. All oh, that you knew it on your dying beds, the listening to the gospel sermon would seem another thing than it seems now. Every person that has ever mocked the gospel and rejected the opportunity to be saved is in hell tonight. I don't say that with a smack of the lips. Every one of them, you know what? They're all believers in the gospel. But it's too late. There are no non-believers in hell tonight. They're all believers. But the time for you to make your reservation in heaven or hell is before you die, not afterwards. It's appointed unto men that die once, then the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says. Now, so 
often Christianity is painted as some judgmental and just God is just threatening you. He's warning you. If you're a parent, you know how much you love your children. And when you warn them, you warn them because you love them. Now, because they're children, they're younger, they think you hate them. And years later, they may come back and call you blessed. But between now and then, they're going to call you many other things. Because they haven't been around the block a couple of times. You've been around the block a couple of times on your face, a couple on your back, and you know what's going on. Okay? The cross without the resurrection would be like writing a check without any money in the bank. Worthless. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Yes, we are found false witness of God because we testify of God that Christ is risen, and if He hasn't risen from the dead, then what are we? We haven't misspoken. We're liars. If Christ hasn't risen, then we're preaching a false gospel. We're preaching a lie. The cross is the payment for the sins of the world and the resurrection, the receipt, that God accepted that payment. When you pay off a car or a bank, they send you a pink slip or a title deed. You get a letter from the bank or from the creditor that says, listen, we're going to repossess your car. We're going to come up and take your house. You say, I've got the deed, man. He says, no, we're coming. We'll come. I got the deed. The resurrection is your deed. What Jesus accomplished for you. The cross is the payment for the sins of the world. And the resurrection the receipt. It's the accepted payment. Paul says, if the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. If Christ has not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And we are most men to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15, 18 and 19. If we're just deceiving ourselves and just making this lie, then, man, we're... Somebody needs to feel sorry for me. If you take the evidence of the New Testament, taking a, a courtroom of law today, as bad as our courtrooms are now today, but if you examine the truth and of, 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 the, of the Gospels objectively, you have to conclude that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to 500 all at one time. He appeared to the 12. Many times. Everything is documented. The Gospels were written in the same century, 30, 40 years afterwards. The prophetic chance of probability is just astronomical. Hands down, the New Testament wins, as well as the old. God's inerrant, infallible word. God has revealed what He wants for you. He wants to forgive you because He loves you. And he's made the ability and the way to do that by making the son sin in your place who knew no sin that you might be made the righteous of God in him. And so the cross of Christ was looking towards the resurrection. But thirdly, the resurrection of Christ was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. And this is the bottom line as we've been saying. Through the proclamation of the gospel, the message of faith on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation, the Jew first and the Gentile. 
For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, quoting Habakkuk 2.4. Power of the gospel to forgive. The message is in faith in Christ as my substitute. That I deserve that death, but he took my place. Every book in the New Testament declares that. The epistles, the gospels. Man cannot be accepted by God because he's holy and I'm a sinner. He's so holy that his holiness would consume me. Through the invitation to all mankind. And that invitation is to repent from sins. The unbeliever, the one who rejects the gospel and says it's foolish. They reject the only power that gives them hope. The one who believes is the power of God to save them, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. If you're out there in the ocean and you're drowning, you call for a lifeguard. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care how tough you think you are. When you really believe that you're going to die, you're going to yell out like a little girl. Okay? You're going to call out for help. Because the strongest drive that you have is self-preservation. And when you really are convinced that you're going to die, you call out for help. Like it's been said, there's no atheists in foxholes. If you didn't believe, you believe right then. Trust me. You call out. It reveals the wisdom of God, the gospel. He did it in such a way that didn't violate His holiness. He did it in such a way that He doesn't force me. He invites me and He lets me choose. And He excludes no one. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in 2 Peter 3.9. Let me ask you a real personal question. Don't answer it. Answer it to yourself. If you were God, would you die for you? And would you save you? <laughs> Knowing who you are. What you've done. If I was a God, I'd smoke you. And me too. Because see, the only one who can be saved is really me. Because I'm the only good one. So when I compare myself to someone, I always look and I pick someone worse than me, so I end up looking good. But the comparison is God. I'm to compare myself to Him. Here I go, me and God. He's the epitome of holiness, I'm the epitome of sinfulness. Wow. How do I think I deserve heaven? How many people you talk to? Maybe you're here tonight. You say, well, I think I deserve heaven. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm, you know, I am. I help my next door neighbor, the old lady, and take out the trash cans and everything else. And I help my neighbor and all that. Well, but the Bible says liars shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Have you ever lied? Yeah. Okay. It says thieves won't inherit the kingdom of God. Have you ever stolen anything? Yeah. Well, you can't get in. You want me to keep the list going? Every one of us deserve hell. So it's either our way or God's way. God's way reveals the wisdom of God. Repentance means a change of mind with a change of heart. Through the gospel, the power to open your eyes to see that you are separated from God because of sin and that He loves you and that He took your place and that if you believe what He said He did for you, then He will honor your biblical faith and He will forgive you. He'll change your heart. He'll give you eternal life. 
Not based on who you are, what you've done, but in spite of it, because you believe what he said. Wow. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. You may be sitting here, well, you know the Bible, everybody has their opinion, you know, private interpretations, this guy says this. Let me tell you, it's real simple. Here it is. Ready? Three scriptures. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father by me. John 14, 6. How many interpretations? Only one. Acts 4, 12. There's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. Jesus Christ. How many interpretations? 1 Timothy 2, 5. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. How many interpretations? gospel is real clear to me. It's one way, one name, one mediator. Or you don't get in. Wow. The gospel is not that confusing, is it? The Chinese word for crises is a combination of symbols for danger and opportunity. And that's exactly what the gospel message is. Danger if you reject it. Because it damns you to hell. Opportunity if you receive it. Because it saves you. And it gives you eternal life. But you make the choice. Just like that fly. Let me see here. What side do I want to land on? Sin is terminal as a disease, ladies and gentlemen. We are born in trespasses and sins. Dead and trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 and says. Though I'm physically alive as a baby when I'm born, the sin nature separates me from God. So really, you don't have to commit any sins. You're sinners by nature. And yet God in His mercy takes care of children in the age of knowledge. If God has been so gracious to me, a dirty, rotten sinner that saved me at age 23... Am I going to have any problem understanding that God's going to be able to take care of the kids? That's always the question, right? Well, how about babies? How about the pygmies? How about the pygmies? The pygmies heard and they repented. Now, how about you? Well, we always change the subject, right? Hell and the lake of fire are a real place. Not a scare tactic. The sad truth is that many will perish because they continue with the rational excuses. People say, well, you've got to understand, I'm a, I'm a very educated person. You know, I'm, I've studied much. I have a PhD. Listen, don't think so highly of yourself. You're not that smart. Your problem is not your brains. It's your heart. The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. It's the heart. That's what Jesus wants to change. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you serve the trinity of darkness, me, myself, and I. Jesus wants to change that as you serve the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It comes with the new birth. Through repentance. Second Corinthians 7.10 It says the biblical repentance is that you turn from your sin believing the gospel and you never regret that you repented. The remorse of the world is that you're sorry, you're sad, you're grieved because of the consequences of your sin. And once you get over your tears, you're right back to the same old thing. 
But when you repent from your sins, you're glad you repented. You never regret it because you have come to be alive in Christ Jesus. And you know what life is about for the first time. And you know that your sins have been cast as far as east as the west. Thank God he didn't say north or south or you'd bump into him. He buried in the deepest ocean. And he put there a sign, no fishing. And he says he has made you whiter than snow. Because every snowflake has a dirty heart. It's wrapped around a speck of dust. What is it that you've done that you think that God can't forgive you or won't forgive you? You got it? He can forgive you if you confess it. If you believe he died for it. So really he excludes no one. You exclude yourself. So why does God get blamed that he's the one that sends people to hell? He doesn't. That's why he came, so you don't go to hell. His motive? He loves you. No other motive. What does God have to gain by you? If he can gain anything, it'll be a headache. If he could get one. He has no benefit. He's not like you and I. We do things, we get along with people, what we can get from them, and we can hang out and say, well, I know this person. Oh, yeah, you know. You think God's impressed over you? We should be so impressed about God who left the throne, took on flesh, and came to wash feet and to die in my place. Wow, that's love. You have to hang your head, ladies and gentlemen. You have to examine your heart. The resurrection was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. Tonight, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ, know for a fact that He loves you. And He's doing everything He can by the work of the Spirit to make you see your lostness and your need of Him to forgive you of your sin. But you're the only one that can say, Lord, I believe you. I want you to forgive me and change my life. Your wife can't do it for you. Your husband can't do it for you. Your son, your daughter, nobody can do it for you. You must make that decision. If not, you'll stand before God and you have to give an account for your sins. Can you imagine standing before a holy God to give account for everything you've ever done? My Lord, that is a scary thought. Absolutely terrifying. But he gives us a bailout. <laughs> says, I've got it covered. His grace is so sufficient that if you go down to the ocean and you take a five-gallon bucket and you take five gallons of salt water out of the Pacific Ocean, you have just diminished the Pacific Ocean by five gallons. You take the grace of God and you put all the sins of the world that have been forgiven from the beginning of time to today. They have not even put a dent into the grace of God. It's immutable. It, it can't increase or decrease. The gospel is as powerful to save right now as it was the first day it was preached. God is in the business of saving lost souls. I presume we all qualify. Especially if you have not come to know Jesus Christ. God loves you. We pray that you would open your heart that he might forgive you. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we just lift every person here to you, Lord. And we pray that you would just deal with those who perhaps are questioning your word and the validity of your gospel. And they would understand your grace and your love for them. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you to be saved. To remove every sin from your life, to give you hope, and to make you alive, to see life the way it really is to be lived. Never promising you perfection, but you'll be able to live life far different than you are right now. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to be born again, if you want to repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing that He, who is God, became man, died for your sins on the cross and rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father, ready to make intercession for you as you repent, then I want you to lift your hand right now. And we want to acknowledge you and we want to lead you through a sinner's prayer. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose as you open your heart to the Lord. And as you do, He's going to do that work in your heart. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand. Some of you are hesitating. Again, God doesn't force you. God gives you a free will. He doesn't pressure you. He knocks on the door of your heart and He invites you. Don't let the enemy rob you. This maybe is the tenth time you've heard. This maybe is the first time you've heard. This could be the last time you hear. Tomorrow's promise to nobody. But you again make that decision. Two thieves on the cross, both blasphemed Jesus. One changed his mind. He says, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. Two equally distant thieves. Both equally guilty, deserving what they were hung on the cross for. One believed, the other one rejected. When they died, one was with Jesus, the other one was separated from Jesus. That has never changed. If you want to accept Christ Jesus right where you sit, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, come forward, doesn't make any difference. If you come up to the front, you play games, you walk out dead. If you mean it, then right now where you sit, God is going to save you, forgive you of your sins. This is your prayer to the Lord Jesus. And He's going to make you born again right now. You can repeat this prayer to Him right now right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.